You have heard that it is said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be in danger of the judgment. But I say to you that whoever is angry with his brother without cause shall be in danger of the judgment. And whoever says to his brother, Raka, or literally stupid, shall be in danger of the council. But whoever says you fool shall be in danger of hellfire. Therefore, if you bring your gift to the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go your way. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Agree with your adversary quickly while you're on the way with him, lest your adversary deliver you to the judge. The judge hand you over to the officer and you be thrown into prison. Surely I say to you, you will by no means get out of there till you've paid the last penny. You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that whoever looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, pluck it out and cast it from you, for it is more profitable for you that one of your members perish than for your whole body to be cast into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and cast it from you, for it is more profitable for you that one of your members perish than for your whole body be cast into hell. Furthermore, it has been said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that whoever divorces his wife for any reason except sexual immorality causes her to commit adultery, and whoever marries a woman who is divorced commits adultery. Verse 33. Again, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform your oaths to the Lord. But I say to you, do not swear at all, neither by heaven, for it is God's throne, nor by earth, for it is footstool, nor by Jerusalem, for it's the city of the great king, nor shall you swear by your head, because you cannot make one hair white or black. But let your yes be yes, and your no, no, for whatever is more than this is from the evil one. Verse 38. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, but I tell you not to resist an evil person. But whoever slaps you on the right cheek, turn the other to him also. If anyone wants to sue you and take away your tunic or your coat, let him have your cloak also. And whoever compels you to go one mile, go with him too. Give to him who asks you, and from him who wants to borrow from you, do not turn away. So these are these phrases you have heard, and then we'll get another one next week, but we're going to focus on just that last little passage there when we come to that text next week about loving your enemies. That's going to get a whole night, that segment. So we've, we've got four topics here in this part of the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus says you have heard it said concerning murder, adultery, our oaths or the credibility of our word, and getting even. An eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. So we're going to look at these tonight as they apply to the follower of Jesus Christ in general, but specifically for us in 2021. So this first one, you have heard this said that you shall not commit murder. And as we come to this phrase, you've heard it said, we realize it's really good timing for us because we just spent the last two years in the Pentateuch with Moses. And back there in Exodus chapter 20, he gave us the Ten Commandments. There at Mount Sinai. If you recall, that was when COVID began. I was in here looking at nobody, teaching by faith, looking at that camera when I taught the Ten Commandments in Exodus 20. Then, recently, we're in Deuteronomy, which means the second law, where Moses is expanding the law and explaining the law of God. And he teaches the Ten Commandments again with a little further insight. So we've had the progression for us personally as a church, worship generation, the Ten Commandments, and then the Ten Commandments, again, reaffirmed in Deuteronomy, which we made, uh, we did a whole study that night on it, 
And even so, we just studied marriage and uh, divorce and all that just a few weeks ago in Deuteronomy when that popped up in Deuteronomy. So this, these topics from the Ten Commandments, we've been with them, but now we have the fullest revelation. We talked about this two weeks ago, that in the Old Testament, holy men of God spoke as the Lord moved them. But they were holy men led by the Holy Spirit. And Moses was the lawgiver, and then prophets prophesied and whatnot, but they were men led by the Spirit of God, giving us the Word of God. But when Jesus is teaching the Sermon on the Mount, it's God. It's God, the Son of God, teaching us about God and God's law. So Jesus, we're told in the Gospel of John, that no one has ever seen the Father, but the only begotten of the Father, the Son, he has declared him. So here in the Sermon on the Mount, as Jesus is quoting now the Ten Commandments and saying, you've heard it said you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, and he's quoting these passages that would apply to Deuteronomy and Exodus and the Ten Commandments, he's taking it further in that sense to a deeper understanding. And the understanding is this, and this is really important. You can be very religious with the law and the Ten Commandments. You can go to church and have a moral ethical code that you seek to justify yourself by. And this is the longstanding tradition in church going and even world religion to some degree, where we make a law to ourselves of some kind of moral compass that don't lie, don't cheat, don't steal, don't commit adultery, you don't covet, these sorts of things. But you can do that with religion. And what I mean by that is you can make it about you and that I'm a good person and I would never do that. I would never cheat on my wife. I, I, I don't lie at work. I, I don't, you know, I strain the gnat out of, the, out of a container like the Pharisees did. You can be like that and think that you're this and it can be the law, a legal relationship with God. But what Jesus is talking about here is a relationship with God, a loving relationship with God that's based upon the actual relationship. This isn't about a set of rules, of moral, ethical rules by which govern us in a a society of being a human being on planet Earth. This is about being a disciple of Jesus Christ. This is about being born again of the Spirit of God, and as we saw last week, being able to fulfill the law of God, not to be justified, but because we are justified, and the Spirit of God is going to always move us toward obeying God's Word. So it's not about religion that we're trying to justify ourselves. It's about the relationship. And so Jesus is seated down. Jesus is seated down, and he's said, you've heard it said, and he's making it about relationship. Because it's not outward and external that he's teaching here. It's inward, and it's the heart. And he's showing us that everything always begins within the heart before it happens externally and shows itself. In other words, when someone, most murders, first-degree murders are people killing people they know. And it isn't just like someday you just wake up and murder someone you know. It's something that's usually been building for a long time. There's different work through, and then something puts you over the edge, and that person over the edge, and they kill someone. That's usually how homicide, first-degree murder works. Not always, but most of the time. And with adultery, it's generally not that just randomly someone who loves their spouse just randomly is unfaithful to their spouse, male or female. It's generally something was there going wrong for a while, and when it comes out and it manifests this way, it didn't just happen. It was moving in that direction within them. For, in fact, it says in the book of James that sin is conceived by our own desires, We're carnal. We have carnal desires. There's people that we will hate and we'll want revenge on. There's people we'll lust for because we're lustful. We're human beings in our depravity. In fact, Satan tempts us with what? The lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. 
And that hasn't changed. He tempted Adam and Eve with that, and he tempted Jesus with that. And we're told in 1 John that these are the three things that we're still tempted by, and it's the world system, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. So that's just, that, it's coming that way. We know the devil's play call. It's this, this, or this. But in this Sermon on the Mount, and this part where Jesus says, you've heard it said this, but I tell you this, because he says, you've heard this, but now I'm telling you that. He's taking us past external and religious to personal and relationship where obedience is from the heart and it's reflective of a loving relationship as opposed to external and rigid as a legal relationship, which is very refreshing. But he's telling us it doesn't just happen. It's something was going away or happening within. And that's what James talks about, that there's a desire, but that's, that's not from the Lord. And then when the desire is given into, it, it's conceived, just like a baby, it says. And when it, brings, when it brings forth its birth, it brings forth death, because the wages of sin is death. So when you conceive sin, and you birth sin, it's not life like the life of a baby, it's death. And there's no way around that. None of us can say, well, that doesn't apply to me. It applies to all of us. There's a sobering element to it. So with that broad scope, as it relates to what we've just read, you've heard it said, you've heard it said, you've heard it said, you've heard it said, these four categories of not, you know, you should not commit murder, you should not commit adultery, let your yes be yes, and not to resist an evil person. We look at this, you shall not murder. Murder begins in the heart. It begins with hatred in the heart. And in the context we see here, it really, it deals with conflict. And contextually, because there's a council, there's a judge, it has a court feel to it. It has like a legal aspect to it, like, hey, we're in business together, they stole the property, we split the partnership, and they did this, they did that, they did these shady things, or I did this contract work, I did this job for 60000 this contract bid, I did the job right, and then you didn't pay me on time, so now we're in court, or... You had them do the work and you didn't pay them. And then you said, oh, you didn't do this right, so we're not going to pay you. And there's people that do stuff like that. You contractors and plumbers, you know that. People that work that way. And, and so you end up often in court. You end up in arbitration. I remember years ago, there was a congregant that went here and they owned some property on a lake. And it was, they had, you know, the homeowners and the, you know, the community that dictates, like Irvine, you got to close your garage door and you know, that kind of stuff and, you know, those things. And... They had done, they'd done something with their property that was forbidden within the rules of the lake community, and they did it anyways, and then they went to court, to an arbitration, and they lost. And it cost them a lot of money. It cost them legal fees and the loss. We'll come back to that on our yes being yes and our no being no when you sign the contract. They're not here anymore, but that has nothing to do with that, but that's the way that went. So contextually, it's like, hey, you've, the word means idiot, Raka. It's like, literally, it means idiot. Like, so, dude, you're an idiot. Like, how people say stuff like that when they get worked up. And especially with business stuff. We had some work going on across near our house where one day we heard the owner just screaming at the top of his lungs, yelling at these contractors because they'd showed up, they'd been drinking, and yelling at him and screaming. It was so loud. There was nowhere to hide from it in the neighborhood. And... I came out and I looked to my right and it was all going on down there and the work on that house is still going on. It's been almost two years. It's just like, oh my goodness. Side note, make sure when you're doing work, get a good contractor. Just a side note, your life will be a lot easier. 
we have a good contractor, so ask me if you ever need a contractor. And if you need a plumber, I know a great plumber, too, right? So just let me know, all right? And a great electricians, too. But at any rate, that kind of stuff, it ends up in court. And in, the, in Corinthians, we're told that, and this, will, this is more related to the fourth point, but in Corinthians, we're told to just not go to court, not to sue that way like you, you can. And you can have a legal right to sue somebody when you've been wrong, and you may win in time, but you may not win that in eternity. Like if you, if you let it go in time, you're guaranteed to be blessed in eternity for sure because God owns your time, your energy, and your resources. And if someone burned you, they burned him, and God's got your back. But that's a hard place to come to in faith. That's a, a mature place in faith. Some people have a hard time getting that place. It's like, no, we're going we're gonna to fight this. I told you the story years ago at Calvary Costa Mesa. A young man came to me who was a lead guitar on a, a song, and he wrote the riff, and that song became number one, but he wasn't the singer. And he was very upset because the singer got all the credit, all the awards, and he didn't get anything. And he was threatening to sue the record label company. He had the proof of how the whole thing came together. And he came to me as a last-ditch effort because this is when we were doing worship generation with the bands. And I told him, I said, look, there's, you seem to have a valid case that would hold up probably in copyright laws and stuff like that. But let me ask you something. What do you hope to gain here? Because legally you might be able to win this case but there was a good friendship here, and you're going to lose that. And you should rejoice in the success of your friend. And in God's economy, you have a number one song to your account in all eternity because God knows you wrote that riff, and who gave it to you anyways? God did. So I personally would just let it go and store that in heaven for a treasure in heaven. Let this person be blessed, not sue the record label, and let it go. Like, I personally think that's better than fighting this because you could fight this for a couple years and you're never going to get that much money from it. It's a Christian music industry. There's not that much money to get. We're not talking like a secular type of song where there's millions and millions. We're talking hundreds of thousands maybe. And you know, to his credit, this person, he walked out of there. I told him, I guarantee you'll be blessed if you let it go. I can't guarantee you'll be blessed if you fight for it. But you can't fight for it because you're probably going to win. And I'll never forget when he called me months later and he said, he thanked me for giving him that counsel that he did let it go and he had total peace and he rejoiced in his friend's success. That's why we don't want to be the idiot. We don't want to be Rocco. We don't want to be the fool. We don't want to be that person. We're told here to reconcile before you get there. You ever watch Judge Judy? I've talked about Judge Judy only because my dad, who's 91, it's like he just, it's like it's free entertainment, right? Judge Judy is entertaining to watch how people like are and how they interact. But what you realize about the shows like Judge Judy and these types of shows is they had so much conflict before that. And, you know, like they set up for $600. And I know $600 might mean a lot to some people, and I'm not saying it's not important to all of us, but $600 is a long way to go for a couple of years to go on TV with Judge Judy and still be fighting your neighbor over something one month's rent. But because that's how human nature is, Judge Judy's been on TV for 25 years and she's a multimillionaire because people are drawn to that type of stuff. Like, oh, oh, look at this. My dad's always like, oh, oh, oh. You know, it's like we can all relate to that. It's very common to, to want to get, when you've been wrong, to want to get right. But when you don't let it go and you don't reconcile it and resolve it, it gets stronger and stronger and the anger builds 
and the resentment builds. And then you lay in bed and you plot how to get even with that person. And I thought I was the only person that thought like that until I listened to a Pastor Chuck study from 40 years ago where he talked about laying in bed in the middle of the night plotting how to get back at people. I was like, oh my goodness, I feel so much better. (laughs) But if you really think that through, the ultimate plot of giving even is taking someone's life and that means they're not going to be, have a chance to be saved and be with Jesus and be in glory. And in the end, you're going to go to jail. You're not going to watch your grandkids grow up and go to the parties and all this kind of stuff. And when the surf's really good with the Santa Ana wind, you're in jail and they're all surfing. When you just think it through, like the end consequences, like God says in Deuteronomy that my people consider the latter end, we need to consider the latter end. And in the end, the ultimate end is the bitterness only destroys the person who holds on to it. And no matter how much you've been wronged by someone that leads us to anger and hatred and these things, ultimately it only destroys us. So Jesus says, you've heard it said to those of old, you shall not murder. But he says, if you're whoever's angry without a cause. Now we've been angry with cause, but we also know the same thing. There's a righteous anger, but this, we're told don't let the sun go down on our anger. And it all begins this way. When you hear of shootings and people taking people's lives, more often than not, you'll find when it's premeditated, they lost a court case. I just got to be truthful. The guy that shot all those people at the salon in Seal Beach about five years ago, he lost the case in court that day, and he's going to go get even. And the one shooting over here, of the ex-wife and the father-in-law, he lost the court case that day, and he's going to go get even. See, they never dealt with it. And now that guy doesn't get to watch his children grow up. And this guy, who even knows what he's doing? They can't be let back in society. Society has to protect us from people like that. We can't become those people. We just can't become those people. Jesus says... Leave your gift on the altar. That's the key. Because you can go to church and be religious and do all the religious things and have a gift, but that's religion. When God says you need to make this right and you make it right and you leave your gift on the altar, that's relationship. That's relationship with God. That you make it right. So whenever you're in this place and God's speaking to you from his word and he says, make this right with that person, make it right. Because the bitterness will only destroy you. It never, it doesn't destroy them. I mean, you might, people take people's lives, but in the end, unforgiveness and bitterness will destroy us. And murder begins in the heart. And there's, how many people kill people who think they're, there's so many people that call themselves Christians who take other people's lives and justify it in their mind. I don't ever want to run into anybody in the aisle at Target or Whole Foods and go, go, have to go around a different aisle because I haven't dealt with something. I want to be able to go down that aisle and, and wish blessings and pronounce blessings on that person no matter how much they've hurt me. That, that moment will reveal like how you are with that too. And we want to reveal good things. We want to reveal that we're disciples of Jesus Christ and we're living the Sermon on the Mount that he taught us, his disciples. Now, the next thing we see, so we just got to leave the gift, reconcile. And he said, do it quickly. Do it quickly while you can. Yes. 
Sometimes it takes a while to work through things, but just keep working through it. Sometimes that tab closes, you don't see those people anymore. I had a major issue three years ago with some families with the USA Surfing Program, and it was horrible. And it, it took me a couple years to work through it and let go of it. And then lo and behold, Brandon tells me the same people are still doing the same thing to the latest coaches and stuff. Some people never get it. You people involved with the youth sports and elite sports, you understand how that works. Some people never get it. The Lord allowed it, and he's allowing it, you know. You don't want to be the person God allows her to be like that. You want to be the person growing from the person that's like that. Just, I think you all know that. Adultery in the heart. You've heard it said that not to commit adultery. Adultery, of course, is a sexual relationship with someone other than your spouse. That's what adultery is. And he says, you've heard it said that those of old should not commit adultery. But I say to you, whoever looks at a woman to lust of her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So this is that phrase that Jesus uses, in his heart. Now, we're told by Jesus and other Gospels that it all begins with the heart. In fact, we're told on the day of Christ Jesus, we're going to stand and give an account for all the thoughts and the intents of our heart. That's a very... In fact, he said there's nothing hidden that won't be revealed. So a very sobering thought that we don't think about that often is when we stand before the Lord in our justification as believers, we're still going to give an account for the thoughts and the intent of our heart. We're also told that out of the abundance of a heart does a man or woman speak. So we know our words often reveal like what we're thinking. And by the way, in ministry and even in business, if you listen more than you talk, you'll often find that people say stuff like, hmm, like something came out like, ooh, that's a red flag or a yellow flag, right? It's like soccer. That's a yellow card right there. You just let people talk and you can know whether or not you should be engaged in business with them or partnership because out of the abundance of a heart does a person speak. So the heart, also we're told by Jeremiah, is desperately wicked, and who can know it? Isn't that true? David knew his heart was so wicked, he said, I don't even know my heart, so search me and try me, O Lord, and show me what's in my heart, because I don't even know. Like David has a heart for God. God says David has a heart for God, and what happens to David? Like, he's just a little bit not on his game. He's got the trophy room. Goliath's sword and all those things. He's the king. Assets are strong. The iras, the odd stuff. He's got all kinds of property. He's building wealth. Got a bunch of wives by default, the way it worked out for him. And, uh, and one look at Bathsheba. Now, this is interesting because to his credit, it's not like David woke up and said, man, I can't wait to see my buddy's wife half naked on the rooftop. It didn't start, like, it, it wasn't like that. But he had been having unbridled lust toward women because otherwise that wouldn't have happened. If he had made a covenant with his eyes, as it says in the psalm, then that moment would have gone like, whoop, didn't mean to see that. We all see things we don't mean to see. There's just things we hear and see that we don't want to see and hear. We're not monks. We're not living in a cave on the backside of Big Bear. There are things that we see and hear at times that we don't want to see and hear. Now, if we're looking for those things to see and hear, that's a problem that we want to take care of. But sometimes we just see and hear things we don't want to see and hear. And those moments reveal a lot about us. And since the devil always looks for an opportune time, we usually see and hear the things that we should see and hear or don't want to see and hear at our own best interest at the time we're most vulnerable to be run by those things when we see or hear them. Thus is David with Bathsheba, the wife of one of his 30 mighty men. He saw her bathing, so he saw this beautiful naked woman and 
Right there, he, he's like, I'm going for this. He had the adrenaline, the endorphins, everything. He's, a, he's like, I'm going for this. I'm the king, and I'm going for this. And in the end, what a price he paid. He paid such a heavy price that a generation later, his son Solomon, who had endless women at his command, who led him astray, the wisest man that ever lived, he wrote all these proverbs about the adulterous woman, how her lips drip with honey. And you can apply that to men. So when women are tempted with men, there's things about men that tempt women. Just think of Song of Solomon as as the Shunammites looking at her prince. It's like she's thinking like that in a good sense in Song of Solomon. But when women are unfaithful to their husbands, they look at men like she was looking at her prince in Song of Solomon. And there's so many warnings in Proverbs that Solomon wrote. And he would have, his mom was Bathsheba. His mom was the, the woman that David slept with lost a child with, had her, her husband killed in combat, and then he married her, and by God's grace, he had Solomon. It is an amazing story of grace, isn't it? Like, for pure lust to end up with Solomon in this amazing story. Don't you love reading Proverbs? When I reload my Bible every two years to reread it, I love to read Proverbs. I haven't listened to Pastor Chuck teach the whole Bible, but I've, I've listened to him teach all the Proverbs. Because what could be better than Pastor Chuck teaching Proverbs? Like, that's a really good combination of his life experience that he had. But Solomon was the son of Bathsheba, and he wrote about the adulterous woman in chapter 5, chapter 6, chapter 7. And he basically said, she'll reduce a man to a, a, a crumb, a, a crumb. And that's what she'll do. In fact, the key is it says that the man should always be enraptured with his wife. And if our marital relationship speaking mostly to the men right now, is based upon just a true friendship. When you're younger and you're in love, you got a lot of passion going that's physical. And rightfully so. God designed us that way. That's actually a good thing. They were never sure about me when I taught youth camp. Be like, hey, you guys that love these girls, you think they're hot? That's good. That's a natural desire. That's a natural passion. That's the way God's designed you but it still needs to be tempered and submitted to the Lord. If you suppress natural passions, you'll get unnatural passions. You need to recognize that, but it still needs to be subject to the Lord. And you have to take every thought captive in obedience to Christ. That's the bottom line. What Paul said to the Corinthians, we take every thought captive in obedience to Christ. And when David did not look at Bathsheba and take that thought captive, we always say it's the second look that's the killer. He took the second look. And then men just don't think straight. They don't think straight. It talks about her, her appeal, her enticing words, and like honey from her lips. And men just don't think right. Once they're checking out, they're checking out. They're sons of Adam. And no matter how strong and wise and smart we think we are, every man is capable of a great fall. But let me say so is every woman. But if we love our wife in a, that friendship way, and you, you, you need that friendship as a foundation, well, you need the common faith as the ideal foundation. Because we always talk about this, like, so if it's a triangle, and here's the, here's the husband, because he'd be on this side, and here's the bride, she'd be on that side. And as they grow together in the Lord, they're getting closer. So as long as the husband and the wife are going together, they're going in the same direction, getting closer. But if they're not going in the Lord, they're linear, not they're, they're horizontal, not vertical in their relationship. Then they're just like this. They're just two dimensions, and they're, they're linear. They're pulling away. 
But if you're both going upward in faith, because marriage is always a step of faith, and if you're both growing in the Lord, you're going to grow together in the whole journey. And it really should begin with friendship. And ultimately, when you look at the elderly, when you see like people in their 80s holding hands, isn't that the best sight? Isn't the most beautiful sight when you see like elderly people like holding hands, just like, that's so rad. It's the best. That's a great ending. That's the ending I want to have. My grandfather, Fred, my dad's dad, and Esther, they were married 60 years. I did, the, I did the ceremony for their 60th wedding anniversary. I've got the gold plate that says 60 years. The plate's this gold that gets left in time, space, and matter. What's a plate of gold compared to 60 years of being married together and a life shared? Not to mention he served his country in World War II and his son served his country in Korea and Vietnam. So it's, it, it's, it's a legacy. And we want our marriage to be a legacy. To be tempted is very common and not unusual, especially in the challenging times that different marriages can go through. You know when you lose a child, they say like 95% plus of all marriages where you lose a child, they get divorced. When we lost our son, the, the nurse told my wife, you're probably going to be divorced within a year. And said that, she actually said like 99% of all people that lose a child get divorced because they don't have to grieve together. You know, people grieve differently. For me and my wife, it just brought us together in an amazing way, as well as me and my father-in-law because it was his first grandson as well. And suddenly we became the best of friends when he didn't really like me much before that. And we were always very close to the end. When you think of Brian and Heidi Jameson when they lost Trinity to cancer at the age of 10, we were there. It was all here. She used to run on the stage. Many of you were at the memorial on December 4th, years ago at Big Calvary. And you see Brian and Heidi, how close they are in the Lord, and how much they love the Lord. It's beautiful. If you want to get divorced, there's never a shortage of reasons to check out on faith and faithfulness. Just be Adam and just be Eve. But if you want to have a strong journey and a strong finish, you're going to keep building that friend. You're going to keep building the faith and keep building your friendship. I really like rom-com movies, romance comedies. I do. They're, they're clean. I don't feel bad if I watch them. Or, I feel, or like you watch all the superhero movies. I always feel like you're stupid after watching the superhero movies. Like, who watches this stuff? Like, this is like a, what a waste of money. So when you get older, like, I like the rom-coms because they're usually built upon like friendship. And by the way, like Korean rom-coms are the best because it's all honorable. It's all about friendship. You say, I like you for like two years. And you, you, don't, you don't touch, you know, it's, it's all emotion. It's like relationship. And God's been reminding me, like, when I watch stuff like that, when you learn a culture and a language and you watch foreign movies, you don't watch the French rom-coms, just so you know. Uh, they have a little different worldview how they do things in France. But the Korean ones are very safe and very clean and very good. The Russian ones aren't bad either. The whole world and all cultures have an opinion about how men and women come together in a relationship and how they treat marriage and one another in marriage. So you can watch enough Russian movies on Amazon Prime or Japanese or Korean or French or any culture, like it's amazing what's out there. And you can see how they treat people and how they view romance and relationships. And a common thread that I see in most societies is the necessity of friendship in a relationship. And if you truly love your spouse as your best friend and you have faith in Christ 
underneath that and above that, you're going to be fine. And you're not going to want to hurt the person you love because they're your best friend. That's the journey. I used to say enjoy the journey before anyone else did. And now I just say share the journey because the journey is not much fun by yourself. Well, it's okay with the Lord, but two is better than one and a threefold cord is not easily broken. So we guard our hearts and minds and we sanctify them to the Lord. And then the divorce element is connected to this parenthetically. You know, so like Jesus said, what's it profit you if you, you know, like you just take every thought captive, you're better off losing an eye and losing a hand. And that's, of course, hyperbole, but the idea is like guard your eyes and guide your, guard your hands. Just keep your hands to yourself and be enraptured with the bride of your youth and love her and love him. Have that faith, have that friendship, have that intimacy, and be strong in the Lord. And enjoy the journey as God's defined it and meant it to be. And divorce, it happens. Many of you here have been divorced. I'm sorry. I'm sure it was very painful. However, it came about. Mutual, you, them. Divorce is painful. My mom's, watching my mom go through her divorce was unbelievable. It's just hard to watch. They say divorce is more painful than death. You can't change yesterday. There's nothing we can do about that right now as a whole. But we can do what's right going forward, which I always say when we teach on marriage. I don't ever want to stumble anybody, but it is what it is, and whatever the past is is the past, and the future is the future, and we want to be all that we can be in the future as disciples of Jesus Christ. Now, verse 33, he says, let your yes be yes and your no be no. That's actually verse 37, but it's, that passage starts with 33. So again, you've heard it said, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform it. In other words, this is the truth. This is about telling the truth. So let your yes be yes and your no be no. And the yes is yes, no is no. We don't need to swear on a stack of Bibles or this or that. Let your words be credible and absolute. Now, it says that there's no shadow of turning with the Father of lights. So God doesn't, he's not yes and no, right? All the promises in Jesus Christ are yes and amen. We sing the song, yes and amen. So as we think about it, since we're the salt of the earth and the light of the world, which we studied last week, and since Jesus always keeps his word and there's no shadow of turning, we're not going to be perfect but we definitely want progress. And you find in life, and I'm speaking to the younger people, the longer you live a life where you value the credibility of your words as high or higher than anything else in who you are in personal character, it'll serve you really well. You will advance with God. Because to him who has, to her who has, more will be given. So if a young woman or a young man, you've been faithful to keep your word before the Lord, he'll give you more. And in the workforce and in relationships, when you're faithful to keep your word and you say this and you do that, even when it's hard to fulfill that and follow through on that, you gain equity with God, with man, with humanity in time, space, and matter. And you, you gain credibility. You gain value. When you speak with people who are very successful in business, they run businesses, they have many employees, it is so challenging and so hard to find just one person that's on your payroll, that is faithful to their word. And when you find that person, you take very good care of them. I've been blessed to have quite a few of them. 
Jim O'Connor back in Vermont, such a faithful man to his word, to this day still serving the Lord now in Virginia Beach. Brian Jameson was amazing as my right-hand man here, first five years. Jeremy Foster, incredible man of integrity. All the pastors we have here, the deacons, they're all incredible men. Their wives, incredible women. They're people that can be trusted. You know, I never worry about sound or anything because we have Ryland, we have Fred, and we have Chris doing this stuff, and they're all faithful to their word. When you don't have a good sound guy and you're starting a church and you're running a church, let me tell you, you don't sleep well. Like, you got to have the sound. If you've got sound problems, it's a, it's a major issue. These guys are faithful. These worship leaders, I know they're going to show up and they're going to do their job. They're going to be prayed up. They're going to be ready. They're faithful. I want to be faithful. And I want to surround myself with people that are faithful. And I tell you, when you're faithful to him or her who has, more will be given. And the real world, we've always always tell our kids, show up early, do the job, and keep a good attitude. And if you can't do the job, try to understand why and at least let your boss know that you couldn't do the job and why. Those are just so valuable. The integrity of our words is so critical that people can trust us in marriage, in relationships, in the community, with sports teams, with dance teams, with drama. Like that, that We have to be faithful. We, we make commitments and you count the cost and you make the commitments and you keep the commitments And now more than ever, our whole nation is in a a lurch because all these people don't keep their commitments in the church. How many people are accepting government aid saying they couldn't get their job back when they could? That's a lie, and that's not true. Driving to Melbourne Airport with my sister three weeks ago in Vero Beach, Florida, she was talking about how all these co-workers from Macy's, none of them went back to work because they make more money staying home collecting unemployment than working near, nearly minimum wage to go to work at Macy's. And we know you can, all these places are trying to find work. Everyone's trying to find work, employees. We have five people go down here to Rubio's two weeks ago, and the guy says, we can't serve you. It's too many of you. It's going to take us 45 minutes to get your food. That's madness and insanity. And when I was driving with my sister... She was talking about at Macy's how they can't get the people to come back. And she, when she went back to work and she got all the paperwork to receive unemployment because she was on it for the beginning of coronavirus, but then by June they offered her job back and she went back. She goes, Joey, they're going to pay me less than if I stay home. I go, go back. Because when they really need management people, you're going to show up, you're going to move up the ladder because you answered the call. And it's the right thing to do. Well, that was a year ago, and now she's in Florida, and she worked at Macy's in Melbourne Beach, and now she's at Home Depot in Bureau Beach, and she said that the few months that she was working at the Macy's in Melbourne Beach, that it was a, like an epidemic problem with people who were offered their jobs back, refused to take their jobs back, and then lied to the government saying, I wasn't offered my job back. And my sister said something very innocent and very pure that really ministered to me. She said... Joey, I hope when I get to heaven that maybe it gets recognized that I I did go back to work for less money than the people who stayed home. She goes, because there's a lot that's not going to get recognized in heaven. I go, yeah, it's like sports. You know, it's like a 
It's like a Boy Scout or Girl Scout, you have the brownie badge or whatever, like a merit badge. I go, you know, Barbie, I'm pretty sure there's something like that in heaven. Either way, you're not going to look away when Jesus is talking about it in the kingdom. You won't have to look away like, bro. <laughs> you won't have to look away. When we sign contracts, when we say we're going to pay for something, we need to pay for it. When we're a head football coach and we say we're going to sign for play coach for three years there, coach for three years. I mean, John Wynn, the great coach, he took the job at UCLA. He wanted to coach at Minnesota, and he had both offers when he was at, at Indiana State, the Sycamores there in Terre Haute. He had both offers out there, but the offer for Minnesota was supposed to come in at 6 p.m. that night, and that was his preferred job in the Big Ten. And he did not get the call, and so, but 6 p.m., he took the job with UCLA to the great unknown, and then at 7 p.m., there was a blizzard, he got the call from Minnesota, offering him the job at Minnesota, and he said, no, I've already committed to UCLA. That's the kind of integrity we're talking about that we need with yes being yes and no being no. And look what happened for him. He came in was a teacher at UCLA for almost 20 years before he ever really won anything, and then he won 10 national titles in 12 years, and he's still the greatest basketball coach of all time. A man of faith and a man of integrity. Every time I see these coaches that are going to coach here and then they go from here to here and here, it's like, how do even people function like that? One of the reasons I didn't do so well as a coach of Olympic surfing is athletes made commitments to surf for us in international competitions and they just bailed out. I'm like, nah, that's not how I roll. Our kids knew, even if you're playing on the baseball team that never wins a game, and we had both boys play on baseball teams that never won a game in seventh grade. You never quit. And you play hard, and you run hard at first base, even if you're being mercied. And the other team switch hitting to keep the score from being 40 to 3. You still play hard. And we taught that to our kids, and that's the character of Christ. Well, my sister had to make straight off her bad debt that she defaulted on living on the streets for years. I got involved. I was her advocate. I'd call up these people. Let me just tell you, I think most of you know this, people are very happy to settle. People are very happy to settle. Part of something's better than all of nothing. So people were happy to get, you know, Barbie owes fifteen hundred for this thing. It just default here, and they're like, "Would you settle for six hundred? Absolutely. Checks in the mail, or here's the card. Use this card." People appreciate when you want to honor your word and make things right. And to me, this is so critical that our words have the credibility. On the wedding day, the contract with the bank. And if you lose things, let it not be because you didn't give 100% of your very best effort to honor your word. And the only exception to this is when honoring your word is sin. That's the only exception. And that can happen sometimes. We're trying to honor your word, put you in a place of sin and compromise your faith. That's where you have to make your yes, no, because you're saying no to sin. You always say no to sin. So we need to put that there with a little asterisk. That can happen. It's very rare, but that can happen. Where you made this commitment and then it turns out this way and it's definitely sin against your conscience, that's where you, you have to switch that yes to a no because they kind of debate and switch on you. But yes is yes and no is no. And then what you find out is when you're 16, you say yes, everyone knows they can trust it. And you say no, everyone knows they can trust it. And last but not least, we have the, the last mile. And we'll wrap it up with this one. This is, you've heard an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, and we know from studying the law that this phrase in verse 38, the idea behind this in the law was to restrain us from getting, like when someone does us wrong, we don't want just to do them wrong back, we want to do them wrong plus one, and one, like basketball, 
Like, you did me wrong, I'm doing you wrong, and one. We want to add to it. Thus, things escalate. It goes tit for tat, and it escalates. So really, in the original law of eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, the idea was is that it was restraint. It's restraint that what they inflicted on you is inflicted on them, but doesn't go past that, because otherwise, it, just keeps, it never ends. It's like a war in the Middle East. It just never ends. But I tell you not to resist an evil person. Not to resist. Whoever slaps you, turn the cheek. Turn the other one to them also. If they sue you, just let them take it. And if they compel you to go a mile, go two miles. This is one of the hardest passages in the New Testament. Wouldn't you agree? Now, I would put an asterisk on this loaning part. I'm not sure exactly what Jesus meant, but I know this. The Bible tells us that as a whole, the word of God, the totality of the word of God, talks about the danger of loaning money. I don't really loan money. I give money. Or I choose not to. But the church is never a savings and loan. And Joey Brand's not really a savings and loan either. I want to be a generous person. I'm going to give it to you. Or I'm not going to give it to you. These are a collective group of thoughts. So not to resist. In other words, like someone does this to you, you just let it go. So really it talks about, it's really ideas avoiding conflict. Like just not, just like not escalating a bad situation. Now this is different than the murder. This is a different thing. Just like just someone riding you, your boss riding you. Someone just, your relatives just riding like, you know, do this, do this, do this. And well, it's like Cinderella, right? Cinderella, Cinderella. Like Cinderella, wash the floor. Cinderella, clean this, do that. Just like, you know, so Cinderella, wash the floor. And Cinderella's like, you know what? I'm going to wash the other floor too. I'm not going to let my stepsisters and my stepmom determine who I am and change me from being Cinderella. Make sure you, you, you're true to being Cinderella. That's the idea. But it's hard to turn the other cheek. And it's hard not to resist an evil person, but it's in your own best interest. And again, I, I go back to this thought that I shared earlier. Our time, our energy, and our resources all belong to the Lord. So whatever anyone takes from us, if we let the character of Christ be manifested in our life as a result of that and how we react to that, that's building equity with the Lord, and God will honor that. It's never about the money. And we can always know there'll be perfect justice in eternity. It's really about letting go and not being tripped up and filled with bitterness. If we truly trust in the Lord, which is a lifelong journey, to say the least, but if we truly trust in the Lord, we will learn how to turn the other cheek and hold our peace. That goes back to the meekness that we studied in the Beatitude. Like, bam. Isn't it always cool in a movie when that happens to someone and they keep their composure? Like, there's just something about keeping your composure and not having this. Anyone, any fool can rage wrath and retaliate. It takes a spirit-filled woman and a spirit-filled man to just, you know what? We don't. A soft answer turns away wrath, Proverbs tells us. And the wrath of man produces not the righteousness of God, the book of James tells us. This is a hard one, and I agree with all of us. This is a very hard one, this go the second mile. But for you personally, for me personally, it will always produce good fruit in our lives when we do, as unto the Lord. Which is the thought there in Colossians that whatever you do, do it heartily as unto the Lord, not unto men, and your Father in heaven knows and will reward you for it. So it's not external, it's not religious, it's internal, the heart, it's relationship. We're gonna, we're gonna make it right before we get to the judge. We're gonna leave that gift on the altar. We're gonna take every thought captive and obedient to Christ. We're gonna stay away from that second look. That's what we're gonna do. 
that we're going to honor our commitments, we're going to honor our word, we're going to keep our yes as yes, our children are going to trust it, our grandchildren are going to trust it, our neighbors are going to trust it, the citizens of our community are going to trust our word because we're the light of the world in Jesus' name as unto him. And when those people slap us, they'll be quite surprised that we don't slap them back. Our life is in the Lord's hands, and we trust in the Lord.